0: Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live. These are conversations about cultivating greater fulfillment and equanimity in equanimity and endeavors that make a difference. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Onward and head coach at Akimbo Workshops and chief difference maker at Creative On Purpose. You can visit creativeonpurpose.com to learn more and grab your copy of The Burnout Solution. Let's meet today's guest. Kai Whiting, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where can they go to learn more? about you and the difference that you're making.
1: So my, my name's Kai. I'm a university lecturer and researcher at UC Leuven in Belgium. I'm also the co-author of the book, Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living in. And the easiest way to find me is stoickai.com or at Kai Whiting on oh, Twitter
0: and there's the url right there well kai you and i are connected um because when your book came out you reached out to me you very generously sent me a copy which uh, i thoroughly enjoyed reading tell us uh it's kind of an interesting project i think um on a couple of different levels so tell us a little bit about what the book is about but also how the book was uh, how, how the book came to be
1: so that's a really good Question, Scott. So I think it came to be that I'll start with how I became sort of interested in stoicism because I think that's how indirectly the book came to be. So I found out about stoicism in a quite a tough circumstance. Uh, my grandmother was was dying. I didn't know at the time she was going to die. And I was in the waiting room and I was reading a book on which was influenced by stoicism. And in that book, it talks about the difference between observation and perception. Like what you, what the fact is, or what you see, and how you feel about it being two different things. And the fact was, as I was reading it, the doctor came in and she, uh, they said, she's 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 died. And the whole room, like the oxygen, it just got sucked out. I could see like the hopeful faces. I don't know if any of the audience has had that situation where you're just hopeful, you're on the edge of your seat, thinking they will make it, they'll make it, and then you're told they haven't. And there's no really there's nowhere to go with that emotion it's just like and it was just like instantly the, the hope just disintegrates into pain basically and i remember thinking well the fact that she's died what did what do i feel about it what do i feel and more importantly what am i going to do about it and as i just read the distinction between the observation and the perception i was like well i don't have to react badly Right, badly being like very overwhelmingly emotionally. I don't have to lose my sense of self. I wouldn't say sense of reason because I don't think I understood that at that moment in time. But I can look at it differently. So I looked around the room and I saw these faces. My, you know, my family. She wasn't the kind of grandma that you would just tuck away and bring out at Christmas. She really was like the root of the family. She was a tree which the fruits were like. You know, what should we do? Where's the direction of this family? What what's the what we doing at Christmas? What's important? What are our values? And had to ask uncomfortable questions because the question of like why did she die was an easy answer because she was ill but what am i going to do about it now who am i now right so stoicism really helped me with that and my grandmother used to have a saying like aim highest. So if you fall down you fall somewhere in the middle so when stoicism helped me with this i was like well what else can stoicism do if it can help me with death it can help me come to terms with one you know when you one of the most important people in my life dies what else can you do so then being an environmental engineer i started to ask the question oh but what can it do for society or at least on a societal level so that's how sort of the book came to be on one level and i'll just tell you as shortly as i can then that how that sort of became into being better um leonidas can and i really felt that a lot of self-help books aren't actually self-help they're the opposite So they tell you if you do A, B, and C, you'll get one, two, and three. So we give the silly example of I'm quite a short man, really, five foot, five and a half. That tells you how short I am, that half matters. So if I say, somebody says to me, he's six foot, you know how to get that toilet paper on that shelf? You just stand here and you lift your hands up and you grab it. And I try to do that and I'm too short. And a lot of self-help books would say, but well, if you believe, if you follow my instructions completely, if you believe you'll reach that toilet paper and it will magically somehow come to you. And really what the Stokes would say is, well, don't you need a stepladder? So we wanted to create a book which is not about telling you, Scott, what to do, but helping you get the questions that you can ask yourself what to do and you can find the solutions because that, by definition, is self-help. So in chapter one, we say the best person to help yourself is you. If I try to put myself in your shoes, my feet don't fit your shoes. So that's not actually very helpful. So that's how being better kind of came to be Scott.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And you, um, you wrote this book with a collaborator that as I understand it, you hadn't really known before you started collaborating on this book. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: You are. I've never met Leonidas in person. So we still haven't met. We were going to meet, but COVID happened. So we've never met. And what happened was uh, he was he wrote a, um, a piece in the modernstorism.com. So that's the main contemporary Stoic website. And it was called Would a Stoic Save the Elephants? And I thought it was a really interesting piece because no one else was really looking to it. Professor Chris Gill was. But I thought it was quite a cheeky kind of way of looking at the question so I just rang him and he said oh I don't have any money what do you what do you want from me he was like really shocked because he was really hard to track down I was like actually I really want to collaborate with you I think that you're going to help me in ways I cannot help myself so a person I've never met which is quite interesting when you when you write a book together because although we are from you know, British and American there are differences and I was like what the things like even if you say he'll say things like put a period there I'm like A period? Oh, you mean a full stop and things like that. So even like the silly things, you'd be like, "What do you mean the 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 commas are in the wrong place? What is this Oxford comma that you add and that we don't add?" And even something as silly as that. So there was quite a few challenges in certain languages. Like, "What do you mean you wouldn't say car park?" So it was even like things like that was quite challenging. But it was really interesting to see like two people, two minds come together and be creative in a quite unusual way i would say it's probably better to write a book physically in the same room at least part of it
0: yeah so it's a it's a it's a wonderful collaboration it's a wonderful book i love you know first you know regret and sorrow for your loss uh, of your grandma but thank thankfully um this powerful operating system this this tool of stoicism entered your life just at a moment when you needed it one of the things uh, Creative on Purpose actually began its life as the stoic creative. So stoicism has been something that's really informed and inspired, you know, my entire life. I've been reading Marcus Aurelius since I was in the seventh grade, um, which was just a few years after Marcus Aurelius had passed from this earth. So, <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that that I was hearing in what you, I loved what you were, the way you were characterizing self-help as and something I've been writing about recently is um, the perils of positive thinking. And, y- you know, a lot of self-help is just kind of like whatever you believe you can achieve and, you know, the secret manifesting and all this sort of, um, you know, things that are, are if not silly, uh, can actually be quite dangerous. Um, one of the things that, that has struck me, and I'm just curious as to your perspective on this, this idea of uh, positive thinking part of the danger is that we're putting value judgments like if it's positive it means it's good which means that <laughs> the opposite is bad and stoicism actually it encourages us not to place these value judgments but to accept things as they are and it asks us to consider that the only worthwhile good and the only necessity for your flourishing and thriving is virtue is the content of your character um What are some of the ways that you and your co-author, you know, unpacked these stoic ideas to help, you know, use uh, ancient wisdom to help people navigate modern challenges?
1: That's a really good question, Scott. And I think the easy way to do it is to give an example that most people are quite extreme about. So in the chapter one, again, we talked about being vegetarian. So most vegetarians are really adamant, particularly if they're going the vegan way, like, if anybody who eats meat, they're just evil, or they're ignorant, or they're on the wrong side of history, right? I'm sure in future, like people's gonna people are gonna hate Barack Obama because he ate a ham sandwich. I'm pretty sure it's like, you know, like the kind of like you fast forward like 500 years and go, we're not having a statue of Barack Obama because he ate a ham sandwich, right? So the Stoics kind of say, well, no extreme, no extreme is good, right? Just because it happens to be an extreme. So we say like, you know, when we go to our family we have family that eat meat and they would have already bought that sort of beef, for example. And if I make a big statement, like, well, I refuse to eat it and you're a terrible human being, that's actually not going to be, that's not a just way of encouraging my parents to think about what they eat. And actually the only time I eat beef is at my parents' house. So somebody argued with me recently, a vegetarian, like, yeah, but by saying that you're going to eat, eat meat, you're actually facilitating you know, animal cruelty and you're actually com- contributing to a higher consumption of meat because they'll buy a bigger piece of beef. So my counter argument is if by doing that, they actually say, let's have a vegetarian Tuesday, there's six of us and one of me. So if you talk about like quantities, I'm actually reducing the amount over a given week because I've only, I've had one slice, but I've stopped a whole meal, which is a utilitarian kind of argument. So the, the Stoics say, well, what does it say about your character? If it's your money, when you go to a supermarket, for example, or the butchers, you are there's value attached to that money and you're saying that you believe that it's the right thing to do to, to eat meat. When it's your family member that has bought it for you, if you're going to have an argument about why you wouldn't eat it, there's no value attached to that money. The money's already been spent. So then it's like, oh, how can I be just towards my family? Right. So it was like, okay how can i be reasonable how can i say to my family i don't eat meat but i do value your cultural your cultural, your cultural values That some of them i still have and some of them i don't so we made an agreement that i would only eat beef and i would only eat on a sunday to say i don't i value where i come from i don't want to put my foot down to the nth degree because i don't feel that that's reasonable because actually it feels like i'm against you rather than trying to show you okay, the way that we produce meat in the UK isn't always the best, so let's perhaps reduce the consumption. So it's not a Stoic thing to say, Scott, that we should never, ever eat meat. For example, if I went to India and somebody said, I've sacrificed you know, a chicken for you because you've come and you've visited me and policed everybody, would I be Stoic to say, oh, I refuse? Of course not. It'd be like, well, thank you very much. I'll eat a small piece because I want to be reasonable to you. And so the Stoics are never extreme or on any anything other than be virtuous, right? Which doesn't go down well with tribalism, because they'll say, "Well, don't you think, for example, that we should remove all these statues?" It depends. Is removing the statue in that way the best way to create, you know, communal communal space? Will it, will it impact in a positive sense? Is that the only way we can do things? Is removing a statue the best way to target? you know political challenges that those statues are representing is there things we can do that are perhaps better is it really the statue that's the problem or is the fact that you've asked you know for the last three years and no one's listened to you so actually what we really need to focus on is community participation the stakes sort kind of crystallize say like, what really is the problem not the details does that make sense scott
0: yeah absolutely well what i'm hearing is that um you know intention and integrity really matter and yeah and and Deliberate taking deliberate action, um, and one of the things that I think happens, you know, when people first discover stoicism is they become uh, sometimes sometimes they wave their stoic flag a little bit too vigorously, and um, you know, one of the things I, I I contend that one of the reasons why stoicism has consistently remained one of the more popular Hellenistic philosophical disciplines is that it did get some foundational functional things correct. I mean, we are, you know, Stoicism is built on the idea, uh, is founded on the idea that we are inherently social creatures. Well, you know, biology, evolution, and all these other things have proven that true. It's, you know, we survived initially because of our social nature, our instinct to band together and solve at, you know, at first the interesting problem of survival, <laughs> when, when we were more likely to be some something bigger and stronger and faster as lunch than it is to make something else our lunch. Um, you know, and now we dominate, well, we thought we dominated the planet until the <laughs> pandemic came along and we realized that something we can't even see actually is more in charge than we are. Um, and the other thing is that we possess uh, what you're pointing to, which is this capacity, for reason and, and rationality. It doesn't mean that we always behave reasonably and rash, rationally, obviously you don't have to watch much news to see that that's not the case, um, but we have this ability. And one of the things that I think is baked into that idea is again, what you're pointing to, which is our inherent creative nature, our creative instinct. We are creatures that are um, love to discover and solve interesting problems together. We like to make worthwhile change for the better happen with and for the people that we care about, that we find ourselves with. And I think your example is really poignantly pointing to this thing that, you know, one of the things that we learned really early on is there's very little that's you know black and white in terms of right and wrong. There's lots of gray area, lots of uncertainty and challenge for us to navigate um, and better to do that with courage and curiosity as opposed to certainty and uh, overconfidence. So I really appreciate that. It's been a while since since I had a, a fellow um, student of Stoicism on the program, so I'd I'd love for you to just share maybe another one or two of the lessons that um, you know that come from Stoicism that you baked uh, into into the book. And um, again, just you know, the I think these uh, ancient this ancient wisdom for navigating modern uh, challenges is is more important now than ever um, as we've. Exited and then re-entered. You know another moment of pandemic and uncertainty and social, political, economic upheaval. What What are some of the other things that that you've learned in writing this book that listeners might might uh, get some value from that might encourage them to go find the book?
1: I think it's interesting that you find stoicism through Marcus Aurelius because Marcus Aurelius is the most sort of cosmopolitan uh, stoic in the sense of he's very humanitarian. He's always talking about being severed from the branch and basically losing your, your humanity. And interestingly in stoicism, there's no such thing as selfishness, right? There's no such thing as altruism. Because if people say, oh Kai, you're so selfish today, you've done X, Y, and Z. And it might be one example, might be you didn't turn up on time to Scott's thing because you had a headache and you're so selfish, I can't believe you did that. And the stoic would say, well, actually I had a headache and I wanted to give the best version of myself to the audience so that they could learn something. And when I had a headache, I couldn't do that. So the Stokes would say, if it's the right thing to do, there's no such thing as selfish, it's just the right thing to do. So if you're doing something for your benefit and that's the right thing to do, then that's great. And there's no such thing as altruism because altruism is the idea that I don't have to do it, but I did it anyway. And the Stokes would say, if it's the right thing to do, you have to do it. So there's no such thing as, like, oh, look at me, I've just, did, you know, I've just given money to say the cat's home. So if you thought that was the appropriate thing to do because you're in a position to do that, then you should do it. And there's no altruism on your part. You just did the appropriate thing. So it's quite interesting that there's no sort of altruistic or or selfish, and this is, Marcus really says, well, it cannot be good for the beehive, cannot be good for the bee. So this is why being better is like, okay, in order to, self-help really should be about how can I improve myself? What are my strengths and weaknesses? How can I improve my sense of agency? And with the headspace. know now that i feel quieter about say the future because in stoicism the past doesn't exist the future doesn't exist all you have is now so now i don't have the headspace of worrying about something because if i do what's appropriate today tomorrow will take care of itself the idea is i don't i don't just sit in my epicurean garden and have a nice glass of wine the idea is that now i've got headspace how can I help the world? How can I help my family? How can I help society? What is it that I'm interested in? Because people say, well, we could do loads of, you know, you could solve all loads of problems. So how do you choose as a stoic? How do you choose which problem to solve? Well, first you say, who am I? What's my role? What, what are my skill sets? So if you're an artist, you probably should work with art because perhaps you're not, a perhaps you don't play any musical instruments. So it would be difficult for you to say, now I'm going to be a singer. No, what's your role? What, do you, what are you good at? And what do you want to do? What, what do you feel calls you to, to be a better person, right? So the book was about things like, okay, so I am myself. I have to live with myself constantly, but how can I give myself to my community? Because you actually form the body of the cosmopolis. You you're not just Kai per se. So that's what I, we felt that self-help was about, to improve yourself to the point that you are then able to participate in a much more freer and, and much more improved way in your local community and depending on who you are on, on the world community. Because stoicism is very politi- it's a very political philosophy. So a lot of new states will say, it's beyond my control and I won't do anything. Like climate breakdown is such a collective issue. I'm not even gonna tackle it. I'm like, well, maybe you burning the, the fossil fuel in your car, maybe is contributing to that. And maybe you need a car because if you don't get a car, you can't take your daughter to school, particularly in the US. But maybe you don't need an SUV. <laughs> maybe you need a slightly smaller car. Perhaps you need an electric vehicle. So the idea is that with that extra mental space, it's not so I can sit or relax and necessarily just do a pull-up in the gym or join, you know, act like a Spartan in that kind of sense. It's like, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I in some sense it says about being no? Because a lot say, oh, so you are suggesting that Stokes should do lots and lots of things. No, Stokes should do what's appropriate. So if you're for example, if you're a father and your kids at home, you should educate them. You, it wouldn't be appropriate to be always be out in the street protesting climate change, right? Because we're like, well, who's with your kid when you're doing that? Oh no, I leave them with a child minder because my job is to help the world. So I'm going out and protesting in the street. But your job is also to be a father, right? And you haven't really done that role. Like stoicism also helps you to work out like, okay, right now I have to be a father. Tomorrow I'm a teacher. The next day I'm going to my parents' house, so I'm a son. So how does my, how can I be just in that situation? Which is going back to the example earlier, Scott was when I'm a when I'm a when I'm a consumer in the supermarket. What I do says one thing, but when I'm in the family home, I'm a son. So acting as if I were in the supermarket when refusing to eat a product is actually inappropriate. And I think stoicism really helps you understand that because you'll say, okay, I know that I have lots of roles at the same time, but I can only focus on one at this moment and which is the one that I should focus on. And I think the stoicism is really helpful for
0: that. Yeah, one, one of the things, there's there's been several themes in Marcus Aurelius's reflections that have really um, informed and inspired the, the work that we're doing at Creative On Purpose. Mm-hmm. One is, to, to what you were just pointing to so one of the things that um i've said about my my handbooks that i've published is they're not self-help handbooks they're help others books that you know built on the premise that we enhance our lives most through endeavors that serve other people that's part of our social you know the the just the the virtue of justice um the other is uh something that marcus talks about quite a bit which is legacy uh you know legacy not being what you leave behind, but the difference that you're making right now, and to your point, it's based on uh, how you play the various roles that life requires of you. And one of the things that has really helped me as I was thinking about that element, you know, and I think it's it's uh, maybe Cicero that talks a lot about the, the various roles is that. It's not a matter of um, changing hats throughout the course of the day in all these roles that you play. And it's not a matter of having to change gears or direction during the course of the day. It's, you are an integrated human being. You, you are actually all these things. Uh, and, at, and you will simply be uh, seeing things through a specific uh, facet. Uh, at at given points during the day. So those are some of the things that um, have really helped me kind of walk through life feeling integrated and whole and um, you know having integrity being in and of my myself uh, and you know trying to practice all the virtues in in the things that that I do from day to day. So as we're approaching the end of our time together there's couple last questions that, that I um, like to ask all my guests. One is um, there for, for people like you and I that, you know, seek to make a difference in the world, whether it's through our writing or through our engagement um, as, as teachers or coaches or what have you, uh, you can't lean into an endeavor like that without making mistakes from time to time, or at least things that appear to be mistakes or failures in the moment. Um, I'm wondering if there's, if there is uh, a moment like that that has occurred in your journey where you know maybe it, it appeared to be a misfortune, a mistake, or a failure that you were able to then leverage into an opportunity or at least provided you with a lesson that helped you show up again uh, with a little bit more courage and a little bit more resiliency.
1: I think I have, well, I still, unfortunately, I still have a tendency to get very frustrated very quickly when things don't go to plan. I, I put that down to being British, actually. Uh, and sometimes it's like, well, it, I, I'm the person who makes my life, from from a straight perspective, the only person that can make your life miserable is yourself. Because unfortunately, as Seneca says, whenever you go on holiday, you take yourself with you. So, you know, for the sake of the silly example, like your, your plane or your train is late. Now you say, wait, I'm just angry because my train's late. But if you look around the platform, is everybody else angry? I mean, their train is just as late. So if you're the only one losing it or being frustrated, and that's typically, typically me, I've got better because I've put audio books in my ears, basically, because I'm like, well, at least I'm doing, you know, I'm very sort of well, at least I'm being productive now. So I've sort of rather than sort of solve it per se, I've just built a mechanism going, okay, well, at least you're doing something productive. But it it was something that is is very frustrating to me all too often, when I have a plan, it doesn't quite go to And Stoicism's helped me kind of pull. So I can't say that I've solved it because I haven't. I, you know, I'd be lying if I said that I, I'd solved it. Uh, I, I really, really haven't. Uh, but I'm looking at going, yeah, but if you're losing your mind, you're actually giving the only thing away that is of value. So every time, that, because the Stoics say that ma- madness is, t- uh, sorry, Anger is a temporary madness. So every time I allow myself to be angry, I've just literally removed reason from my head because I don't feel that I'm being productive or I don't feel that, feel that, oh, I wanted to get A, B, C, and D done today and now I can only get A and B. But those, those things are indifference, meaning that they don't actually, the things themselves don't sculpt my character negatively or positively. But the minute I'm, I'm triggered basically by something, and then I decide, to, and there's nothing wrong being triggered per se, but then I decide to go down that, that route. I've, I've ruined my own day. I've sacrificed the only thing that has, that has meaning in sterilism because I've given away my sense of self. Because when you're angry, you have no sense of self. So that's something I'm not going to say I've solved it. But that, now that I've at least come to realize that, and I, this is the last sort of month or so, Scott, really, like, really, every time I'm angry, I'm losing myself. And every time I come, you know, you come back to yourself when you calm down. So it's like just going, do I want to lose the anything of value? And that actually helps stop me. It doesn't stop me all the way, but at some point you go, and it just makes you go, okay, I need to, I need to think about this. Who, who am I and what matters to me? And as a stoic, that's, that's fundamental importance.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's uh, I love any kind of, of um, discipline that, Helps us return to the present moment and regain our mindfulness and our intention. And that, I sh- I share your struggle with <laughs> having to remind myself that um, I, I I think there's a there's a great line from um, Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks where the Russian um, the Russian operative uh, is always being reminded that he's in a really tough position and that things are going to end very badly for him. And when he's expresses no. Worry or concern about that? Um, that the Tom Hanks character is always like, "Aren't you concerned? Aren't you worried? Aren't you frightened?" And and he always responds with, "Would it help?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. Well, so the last question is, you know, you've already delivered several insights. I think along the, these lines, but this show is done for and is viewed by people. Who like you aspire to or want to advance in the difference that only they can make. If there was just one final piece of advice, uh, a stoic quote, a stoic exercise, anything that you would you would share that would help someone step um, a little bit more boldly with a little bit more discipline into their potential and into the promise that, um, that that they have and the difference only they can make. What would what would be your your parting piece of advice or your parting tip?
1: It would be the one that the oracle said like on on the door to the oracle is know thyself or know yourself because when anybody receives wisdom it doesn't make any it doesn't become or receives information it doesn't become wisdom if you don't know yourself as seneca says if you don't know where you're going no wind is favorable Mm. so i would say to particularly creative types because it is very easy being creative to lose your sense of self anytime during the day because you're like, well what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And it's very, very hard because it is a quite a lonely I find creativity very inspiring and, and it's a spark, but it's quite a lonely process. And I would say that as a stoic, knowing yourself is the most important advice. How would you do that? That's not by going into yourself actually from the stoic perspective is about talking outwards because sometimes when you think for the first time you really think you're actually talking to someone so the method of reason in Stoicism is a Socratic method it's about discussing it's about finding out what's reasonable so a lot of creatives go in and there's wrong with going in but sometimes to really find yourself you have to go out so I would say try to balance the going in because especially if you are creative because it's a lonely process and you're, you're on your own quite a lot during the day but to go out to people that really care about you so not not casting polls before swine by any means but saying like scott what do you think of this and i do get angry when i feel that i'm not being productive how you know me very well what mechanism can i put in it to at least pull? and i think that's really underrated in creative circles because you kind of feel like the geniuses would bring your quiet time when you're in flow or you're doing deep work and that is true, but there's also a moment of like, okay, that part of you, yes, but in order to be really productive and have the sort of like the meta frame, you also have to think, who am I, what do I stand for, what's my purpose? And sometimes, if you're so lonely, you actually go off into a different direction. So Stokes would say, always come back to the cosmopolis because you belong to them and they belong to you.
0: Love it. That's awesome. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Kai and I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. We hope that this broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with a greater sense of curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Kai and the difference he's making at stoickai.com. And of course, it's always great to see you as well at creativeonpurpose.com. Now, take the insight and inspiration from this broadcast and fly a little bit higher in the difference only you can make. Kai Whiting, thanks so much for sharing some of your experience and wisdom with us here today.
1: Thank you.